Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on Go or No Go. And so I just can't get away. I feel like I have lived through 40, this is my 43rd Easter. I had to give my ID to someone the other day to because I was writing a check for the church at Home Depot. And the lady looked at my license and just thought it was amazing that I was about to be 43 and wanted to really highlight that. And I, um, I, I didn't necessarily appreciate it all that much, but I did say I guess it beats the alternative. And uh, so I'm thankful for every year. So I've lived through 43 Easter's now. I'll be 43 next month. Wait a minute. Yeah, so that does mean I've lived through 43, right? Yeah. A little confused there for a minute. 43 Easter's. Easter's come and go. Easter's. (laughs) Easter's come and go. And, um... We celebrate the resurrected Christ on Easter. Good Fridays come and go. Good Fridays, amazing, right? And then um, so many times, what do we do? Like the Sunday after Easter, we start a new series, right? And it's like, it just, there's no hang time with the resurrected Christ. I mean, I just, I'm having, and, and so I feel like for the first time or like never before, I'm just struggling to move past the resurrection. And so last week we stayed at the resurrection. We talked about the possibility of being an ignorant brethren or sisterin, right? And so sometimes we think it's too good to be true and we walk through Jesus's interactions interactions after the resurrection. And we find that so many people were shocked and amazed and terrified that Jesus did what he explicitly said that he was going to do. And, um, and so we paralleled that with him teaching us, I would that you not be ignorant, brethren, about what's really going on. And so we can be ignorant and we can be a brethren, He specifically calls us brethren and says, don't be ignorant. So we can still be ignorant and just not opening ourselves. You know, I was thinking this week about revelation. Revelation, sometimes we act like that um, God just has this secret in heaven, right? And then he just waits, right? And he likes to just, you know, you're just wanting to know, wanting to know, wanting to know, and it's like a carrot on a string. He's like, nope, nope. Oh, you know that commercial where, uh, sorry, the the, uh, insurance commercial where where I guess it's Geico or somebody saves you a dollar, and it's talking about the other leading brand insurance agencies, and that old man has a dollar bill on a fishing line. And so we act like that's God, and then just occasionally he just lets it drop, and like, oh, wow, revelation. We got revelation. And it just goes back a few weeks ago, I was talking about the sunrise. The sun doesn't rise. The earth repositions itself. And so I don't believe God is withholding revelation and people get it. 
I believe that as we continue to rotate, as we continue to position ourselves, as we continue to go from glory to glory, he's not releasing glory to glory. We're moving from glory to glory. We're positioning ourselves for new glory. And so we don't want to be ignorant. And I think the biggest statement of ignorance is to um, hate against and war against things that we don't understand or we haven't experienced ourselves. Because we are, in essence, making an argument that we know everything about who God is. And so that is ignorant. That's just ignorant. None of us do that. And so when people talk about the things of God, they should do it with such humility. Such humility and such grace. We should never talk in ways that are so dogmatic because it's just ignorant, right? So we can't be ignorant, brethren. And I just want to move on. So, So Jesus raises from the dead. We talked even the week before about the palm branches and we talked leading up to Easter and he doesn't want your leaves. He wants your fruit, right? He wants to make wine out of you, not crumpled up leaves on the ground. And so we want to position ourselves as fruit for him to, I hate to say it, but crush however he sees fit to make wine out of our life because it is such a beautiful, wonderful, glorious crushing. It is such a beautiful, wonderful, glorious surrender. And so we want to be those people. We talked about the resurrection and we talked about um, not being ignorant. And so I just want to move on. We've looked at all of his interactions and I want to look at the last interaction that Jesus had with people before he ascended. All right. And so I would say today that we have a go or no go situation. We have a go or no go situation. Um, <clears throat> we watched a movie at our house. It's been a year or two ago now, and it's uh, the uh, rocket movie where the African American ladies got jobs at NASA. Such a beautiful picture of just uh, civil rights breakthrough, hidden figures, and even not only civil rights um, for minorities and blacks, but also for women. Just such a powerful thing uh, to watch. But they, um, I remember from that movie, as I'm looking at Jesus's last interaction with anybody and everybody before his ascension, And they had all these calculations, right? And what they had to come up with was the go or no-go moment. Because everything had to be at this exact point, and that's when they can finally make the determination. All the factors had to line up at this certain point. And some of y'all haven't seen the movie, so hope it shouldn't keep you from being able to follow along right now. There's a point in the travel of the rocket that... If the conditions are favorable and everything has gone as they've planned, 
And I don't even understand the whole thing in the movie because it's really complex numbers, and I don't think that's the point of the movie entirely. But the point is, is that when you get to that point, if it's favorable, then they, at that point, they've, they make it past the no-go moment. If it's not there, that's the last moment you can say no-go before it's catastrophic, okay? And so there's a no or no-go situation, all right? And the go, um, I, I, I'm ahead of myself. Th this little point is the last point in my notes. Go, are you ready for this? Go is a very complicated word in the Webster Dictionary, okay? This is what go means. Move from one place to another, all right? Go, move from one place to another. A no-go is a situation in which planned operations cannot be effectuated, as in the case of the launch of a spacecraft. The flight is a no-go because of technical problems. So the planned operations cannot be effectuated as planned. All right, hold on to that. No-go, the planned operations cannot be effectuated as planned. Or, go. Move from one place to another. Yeah. Carry on with the plans that were prepared and made. And so let's go to just Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at three of the Gospels today. And um, just look at Jesus' last interaction. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful, and Jesus come up and came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What does it say? Go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right? And so it's like Jahan said earlier here. He's leading us with his eyes. So he says, I'm going to be with you, all right? But here's the thing. He's going to be with us if we're going, because he's going. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm the going kind of God. I'm always going. The increase of my government shall know no end. We are moving from one place to another. And as long as you're going, I will be with you till the end of the age, because that's where I'll be. And so if you want to follow me in your going, look into my eyes and we'll go together. But the point is, he said to go. You know, so many, let's go on. Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 14. Then Jesus appeared before the 11 apostles as they were eating a meal. <clears throat> Get a drink. He corrected them for having such heart Hard, unbelieving hearts. Look where we're at today. 
How amazing is the Holy Spirit today? During worship, we prompted about stubborn. Jehovah was prompted to deliver a word that there are stubborn, hard hearts. And so he corrected them for having such hard, unbelieving hearts because they did not believe those who saw him after his resurrection. What were they? Ignorant. So he rebuked them for being ignorant, okay? But this is cool about God, right? Because he told Peter, you're going to fail me three times, but don't let your heart be troubled. So then he sees them after the resurrection. He rebukes them for being hard, ignorant, and stubborn. And then he says, let's move on and talk about what's next. And he said to them, as you go into all the world, Preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. Whoever believes the good news and is baptized will be saved. And whoever does not believe the good news will be condemned. And these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. They will speak in tongues. They will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous. And they will lay hands on the sick and heal them. Who is this for? The goers. This is for the ones that are going. These are for the, this is what happens for the ones that are doing what he's called them to do. Where are we at? Verse 19. After saying these things, Jesus was lifted up into heaven and sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of God. Look at verse 20. And the apostles, what? Went. They gone. They goed. They went. Out announcing the good news everywhere. As the Lord himself, what did he say? What did he say? If you're going to be a goer, I'm a goer. I'm on the internet. I got five people in here, and I just realized I'm still yelling. I get fired up, all right? So, anyways, and the apostles went out announcing the good news everywhere as the Lord himself consistently, is he consistent? Is he a consistent God? He consistently worked with them. Consistently worked with them. That's what happens to the goers. God is going with us and consistently working with them. Why? Validating the message they preached with miracle signs that accompanied them. The goers get him going with them, performing miracles, signs, and wonders, validating the message they preached. Now, this caused me to have a question. You know, some people say, you don't have to say it. You don't have to talk about it. God is sovereign. He'll do what he wants to do, right? So we don't have to say, and we don't have to make these declarations and decrees. That's, that's out of line. You can't box God in like that. Who are you to try to decree what God said he's going to do? Well, he already decreed it, 
in his word. Anything he's decreed, we should be decreeing. We should be saying, whatever has been bound in heaven, let it be bound on earth. And whatever is loosed in heaven, let it be loosed on earth. And it says that he validated the message. Not they validated the works. See, we're reactionary in the church. We, want, we, 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 we sit back so afraid that something wild's going to happen, and then when it does, we want to do a four-part series on how God possibly could have done that because we're so afraid people are going to get offended about it. We didn't, we're not supposed to be validating God. God is validating his word that we are releasing. Yes. How much power and authority has he given us? He's put the ball in our court. And we're saying, well, if God wanted that, and if God wanted that, and if God wanted that, and if God healed, why are there still people in the hospital? I don't know. Why don't you go to the hospital and decree what he decrees and let him validate your message? I say it's because we're too afraid to say what he said to say. And so he never has to validate anything because we never say anything and we don't operate with any type of faith because we're so afraid that we'll look bad. We're doing nothing for him to validate many times because we're so afraid that he won't come through. But the goers and the doers and the workers get validated. Yes. Now this is like, I mean, sermons like this make me cringe. Is it all about going and doing and working? No, but it sure is not all about sitting, soaking, and souring. You know, sometimes I think, sorry, another little trail, we get kind of our niche. I fight against this niche. Because, man, I believe God is so good. And he's so merciful. And I believe that doors just keep coming around that we pass up. And it's so good. So I don't want to ever use fear to tell someone, you better not miss this moment. You know, you better not do this. I don't want to ask people, where are you going to spend eternity? I want, I'm, I want to know where they're going to spend tomorrow. Because I believe if they don't have a revelation of the love of God in this moment, then that fear of the moment real far away from now is not in our nature to conform our lives for some future fear. We have to have a revelation of the goodness of God. The goodness of God draws men to repentance where they don't want to live the life they used to live because today's so full of potential. But we get these niches. We get these niches, and then what? We'll, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves. And some people just want to stand up and preach condemnation and what you've got to do and what you've got to do and what you've got to do. Every single service will be about what you should stop and what you should quit doing and all the works you need to do and you need to work harder and you need to strive more. And some people get up and say, you don't need to do anything. You need to relax. You're working too hard. And that's, it's everything. The kingdom is every, is all of that. It is. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves just avoiding parts of Scripture because it conflicts with our niche and what we really want to communicate primarily. 
And so I find myself doing that. There's no way to avoid that before Jesus left this earth and ascended the final time that he didn't say, he didn't say, hey guys, I love y'all so much. And, and I just, my main goal in life is for y'all to rest and just be at peace. Just find a quiet place somewhere and, and I'm going to come see you every day and just love on you real good. Now he is saying you're going to be seated with me and you're going to be in complete rest and I'm just going to come and lavish on you the riches of the kingdom every day. Yes, that's absolutely true. And you're going to be working and killing it and giving your life. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So he says, go. And when they go, he goes and he validates. Did he go with them or did they go with him? They went together. Luke 24. Last one we're going to read today. Not last verse, but last passage of this story. Now he said to them, verse 44, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Sorry, I just had a wave, a little wave there. <laughs> I'm not, it's, it's not, it's private, but the Lord just showed me something in this whole coronavirus, a gift he gave me, and I just saw it. He's so real, and he's so personable. Where was I before I got jacked? I think I will tell you. Could hurt me. I'll be totally transparent, though. For a few months, I don't know what happened, but I've been racked with anxiety. And particularly when it comes to speaking. I've left almost every speaking engagement and every one of our Sunday services, most Sundays, feeling absolutely defeated. In those moments, I've been up there and just, just become overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. I don't know what I let in, how I let that take place. But I just realized as I was reading this scripture, I don't know, and just felt so comfortable and realized over the last few weeks how comfortable I felt 
And during this time when it's a camera and five people, God's renewed the passion and the comfort to share his word with confidence. Such a beautiful thing. And I know God doesn't do allow all these things to happen for one person, but my goodness, I can trace so many things that he's done in my life because of this time. And what's amazing is with all the millions and billions of people on the planet that every single person could trace his hand in every single thing that takes place. How in the world you talk about organizing and structuring a day. <laughs> 8 a.m. tomorrow. How many people are on the planet? You might know. 8 billion? I was going to think. I thought it was 8 billion. 8 billion people. 8 o'clock tomorrow is day planner. 8 billion appointments. 8 billion appointments. Every moment, he's present in 8 billion people's lives. We can't be ignorant about a God like that. <clears throat> then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Look at verse 49. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. It's like, it's like a weird analogy, but Samson caught foxes and set their tails on fire. And the foxes ran through the Philistine camp and set the city on fire. So he's saying, the way the plan works is, you're going to go. And as you go... I'm going to set you on fire. I'm going to send forth the promise of my Father on you so that everywhere you go, but it's essential that we go. It's essential that we go because he's sending that. Is he sending it and we go with it or are we going and he's sending it on us? Yes, again. But the favor of the Father, the promise of the Father is going. The promise of the Father is moving throughout the city, and he wants it to move with us. He wants it to align with us. I got to wrap up soon. James chapter 2. <clears throat> James chapter 2, verse 14. 
My dear brothers and sisters, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? How could this kind of faith save anyone? For example, if a brother or sister in the faith is poorly clothed and hungry and you leave them saying goodbye, I hope you stay warm and have plenty to eat, but you don't provide them with a coat or even a cup of soup, what good is your faith? So then faith that doesn't involve action is phony. But someone might object and say, well, one person has faith and another person has works. Go ahead then and prove to me that you have faith without works and I'll show you faith by my works as proof that I believe. You can believe all you want that there's one true God. That's wonderful. Golf clap. That's wonderful that you believe. But even the demons know this and tremble with fear before him, yet they are not going from one place to another. Okay? They're not going from one place to another. Where was that? <clears throat> you can believe all you want. That's wonderful. Let's see, I'm verse 20. Oh, feeble sons of Adam, do you need further evidence that faith divorced from good works is phony? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham found righteous before God because of his works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Can't you see how this action cooperated with his faith, and by his action, faith found its full expression. So in this way, the scripture was fulfilled. Because Abraham believed God, his faith was exchanged for God's righteousness. So he became known as the lover of God. So now it's clear that a person is seen as righteous in God's eyes, not merely by faith alone, but by his works. And the same is true of the prostitute named Rahab, who was found righteous in God's eyes by her works. For she received the spies into her home and helped them escape from the city by another route. For just as a human body without the spirit is a dead corpse, so faith without the expression of good works is dead. Look at Luke 3, 8. Then turn away from your sins, turn to God, and prove it by a changed life. Turn away from your sins, turn to God, and prove it by a changed life. I read Romans 12, 1 and 2 all the time. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He wants us to go and prove his will. And he is working with us. And he's sending the promises of God with us. He's co-laboring with us. But it's a no-go or go situation. What are we going to do? Are we a go or no-go? In John 8, we see the woman 
who was caught in the act of adultery. And it's such a beautiful picture of the mercy of God. The Pharisees and the people, they bring the woman out and they're going to stone her and they want to trap Jesus. And so they say, hey, the law says we need to stone this woman. She's caught in the act of adultery. So Jesus kneels down and draws in the sand. That's one of the questions. One of the questions that went up towards the top of my list. I want to know what he drew in the sand. So bad. And so he drew in the sand, and the, then he asked, he who has the first stone, step up. He who has no sin, I'm sorry, cast the first stone. And so one by one they left, the oldest to the youngest. You know, the youngest, we don't, we don't think we do anything wrong sometimes, right? Oldest to the youngest, they leave. And so the woman standing there will pick up in... Uh, uh, verse 10, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman, still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. And so this, again, we love this, and this is one of those niches we want to get in. Oh, my goodness, God will just love everybody and just completely cover sin. We can do whatever we want. Like, it's not a big deal. He's so good, and he's so merciful. And anyone in the church who wants to ever throw a stone, if anybody in the church ever wants to confront sin, then they don't have the heart of Jesus because Jesus wrote in the sand that we should never confront sin. Right? Jesus did not have to rebuke the lady. He just looked at the lady. And if you get enough like Jesus where you can just look at people and they quit sinning, then you don't need to speak anymore. But until we get to that point, we probably need to speak to sin. Not try to kill sinners, but try to save sinners. So we need to speak to sin. So all the people that said, don't judge, don't ever confront sin... Well, if you looked at that person before I got there to confront them with a sin and they're still sinning, you must not be like Jesus enough. So try that again before you... And that all, that's always amazed me. People will tell you, don't judge. And they will blast you for being a judger if you confront sin. They will condemn you for judging people. Like, so like... That's confu always confused me. I'm judging you're judging and condemning you for judging, right? That's always confused me. But, yes, we can, one day we can no longer, we will no longer have to confront sin or be a mouthpiece against sin when we look enough like Jesus. I've heard stories of Smith Wigglesworth getting on a subway and people screaming at him, telling him to leave them alone because the Jesus in him convicted them so much. You see Jesus walking up to demons in Scripture, and they begin to cry out, leave us alone. What have we done to you? But until that point, then we may have to help people sometimes that are in sin, 
realize it. Look at this next statement. So we say, I don't condemn you either. And it's like, oh, that's a license. We do whatever we want. And it's so mushy and gushy and wonderful and beautiful. And Jesus just loves me no matter what. And he just loves my lifestyle no matter what. And he just tells the lady, okay, they didn't stone you today. So, oh, one more thing. Go. Leave one place and go to another, right? And from now on, be free from a life of sin. So, don't sin. So, Jesus addressed sin. Don't sin anymore. Look at the lame man in Luke chapter 5. They lowered him down through a roof, right? And wanted him to be healed. Jesus, what does he tell him? Get up. Pick up your bed and walk and go home. What does he tell uh, the man with the withered hand in Matthew 12? Stretch forth your hand. Noble man in John 4, go your way, your son lives. All right? Man born blind in John chapter 9, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Go wash. He was not clean until he went. He was not clean until he went. If we're not ignorant about the things of God and we know that he has more things for us, his mercies are new every day, then we also can't be ignorant that some of those things will not be a reality in our life till we go where he says go. And we do what he says do. And it will unlock things in our life. Ten lepers, that will reposition us. See, going, moving from one place to another is like the earth rotating, and that is what unlocks revelation. Oh, has God always been that way? Yes. You just didn't go where he's taken you till now. And so now you're able to see it like you didn't see it before. Look at the ten lepers in Luke 17. Go show yourselves to the priest. Now this one's amazing. Ten lepers... Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priest. Do you know that all 10 lepers were still lepers when he said, go show yourself to the priest? They were still lepers. Well, when God does this really powerful supernatural thing, it makes it abundantly clear, then I'll obey. When God meets all of my needs where I absolutely don't have to take any step of faith, then I'll go where he tells me to go. You will not find that anywhere in Scripture. And immediately your minds probably go, if you're a student of Scripture, to Gideon. Well, Gideon, he laid out a fleece multiple times and didn't go until God told him to go. And then, and then what happened? Okay, we didn't actually get to the position that I needed to get you to to win this battle when I just told you to go. You know, you had to, we had to do the whole double fleece thing. So now we still, I'm still passionate and relentless, and my mercy refuses to leave you where you are. So I still have to get you to a place of faith that you're going to need to win this battle. So now you need to send home almost all your army. And we don't see Gideon lay out another fleece. Yeah. So somehow Gideon taps into that faith. And so they go, as they were going to the priest, they were cleansed. As they were going to the priest, they were cleansed. As they were going, 
as you go, this happens. As you go, what you've been asking for is released. As you go, God's not just, oh, I want to give it to you, blah, blah, blah. You're just not in position. It's like, you know, those, get the, that, what's that old, uh, uh, like the money sorters. You put all the money in the top and it spins or whatever. And when the right size coin, it drops, right? There's things for your life that you can't contain. You're not a vessel to hold it like the old wineskins we talked about the other day. And he's shifting you to where you're a wineskin so that you won't break when he puts it in you. And so we have to be shifted. We have to move. It's important that we go, go, go. In Matthew chapter 14, we see Jesus sending the disciples to go to the other side of the lake. And there's a huge storm that comes up. And Peter's in the boat. And they're afraid because Jesus comes walking and they say, man, is this like a ghost? And he says, don't be afraid, it's me. Ignorant brethren. Ignorant brethren, aren't they? Bust their hearts. It's me, you know. We just fed 5,000 people, remember? You know anybody else that walks on water and stuff? Come on. It's me. And so he walks out there, and then Peter says, Lord, if that's you, again, Peter, he just told you. <laughs> you know? yeah. Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. See, we get so caught up in that, Lord, if that's you. I mean, like, hey, it's me. Go. Well, if that's you, <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, let's do this. Follow my eyes. Follow the promises of God. We're going over here. Well, if that's you, <laughs> is that you, God? Is that you? Wow. Let's pray about it. Let me pray a little bit. Just pray some more. Just pray some more. God, I want to talk to you, the one who told me what to do, about whether or not I'm going to do what you told me to do. Like, what kind of conversation is that? God, do you want me to do what you told me to do? All right. I mean, you tell God you need to pray about stuff. All right. who, who are you going to pray? Are you? <laughs> it's so weird. You know, it's like somebody asks you to do something, you're like, I got to talk to my spouse about that. But what if it's your spouse? What if Sean asks me to do something? I say, well, I got to talk to my wife first. Yeah. Wife, can I do what you're asking me to do? <laughs> Is that you? Ignorant, brethren. So, he says, if it's you, if it's really you, if, it's, if you're not kidding around with me, if it's really you out there on the water, have me come out there. Ask me to join you. Verse 29, Jesus says, come and join me. So, Peter stepped out on the water and began to walk toward Jesus, but when he realized how high the waves were, he became frightened and started to sink. Save me, Lord, he cried out. Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and lifted him up and said, what little faith you have. Why would you let doubt win? Number 12, whatever number we're on in my thoughts today. Number one from this story. Um... It's amazing. Jesus tells him to come. He steps out on the water, 
As soon as he starts to fall, Jesus grabs him. Just a picture of Peter. You know, don't let your heart be troubled, Peter. I'm just proud of you for stepping out of the boat. And so he saves him, he rescues him, but here's the thing that's wild to me. The man steps out of a boat onto water. And I don't think it's so much Jesus condemning Peter other than Jesus just communicating, keeping the same consistent message of the kingdom. Like stepping out of a boat on the water and attempting to walk on it, but not doing it to the end is little faith. Like that's little faith. So like how many people listening today have walked on the water. So we got a little faith. We, we, we're not tapped into. So I mean, he said, you got little faith. Like, come on, throw me a bone. Like, so many people want to be affirmed in the kingdom. Look at this great, amazing thing that I did. And we don't have any idea what, what heaven has laid out for us. If Jesus throws a party for us, for this minute thing that we do when we can't even fathom more than we ask, think, or even imagine what he has for us. And he throws a big party over here like it's all over and the pinnacle of life has been reached. That would go against the nature of God. This would be dishonest and disingenuous, wouldn't it? This would be phony and fake. So he has to say, hey, I'll save you, I'll grab you, but that's little faith. Yeah. Like we're, 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 we're working our way up, but we want to be celebrated. Yes. He wants us to finish. Yes. He wants us to go where we're supposed to go. And he's not being hard, he's just being consistent. And we literally want to throw ourselves a party. It's so funny. It's like, who's the tallest pygmy? Religious people that want everybody to honor them for how spiritual they are. There's not a man on this earth right now that needs to be celebrated because they're such a pinnacle of faith. From the greatest to the least, honor. We give honor where honors do. We honor people that they stepped out of the boat. But we don't celebrate like we've tapped into the, the vastness of heaven at this point in the world. Because to do that would be, again, to take a place that we somehow know when people have got to the highest pinnacle, which would in turn reflect on how big God is. And we don't know that. So all I can celebrate with people is their faithfulness. I can celebrate their faithfulness. I can celebrate their willingness. I tell people all the time, different things in my life, people will say, oh, wow, you do this or you do that. And I'm sitting there looking at their life, and I'm thinking, you do that and you do that, right? We all have been given a measure of faith to do whatever God calls us to do. So we're equipped and we're enabled to do what he's called us to do. And I'm not equipped and enabled to do what other people are do, but we can't be ignorant about the going. So he says, come and join me. And he says, you, 
have little faith. Now, I just want to say this, verse 32, uh, 33 at the end of it. Then all the disciples crouched down before him and worshiped Jesus. They said in adoration, you are truly the Son of God. This is in Matthew chapter 14. Do you know when Peter says you are Christ, the Son of the living God? Matthew 16. So Peter actually was stepping out by faith with really inferior revelation at the time. But his faith gave those that witnessed it revelation that he didn't even have yet. Isn't that not crazy? The people that saw Peter step on the boat realized that Jesus was the Son of God. And Peter says that in two chapters later. It reminds me of a football coach I used to have. And in football, it's dangerous if you stand still. In basketball, if you stand still, you just don't get the ball. You're probably not going to score any points. And you're going to get beat to death by the opponent because they're on offense. And you're going to stand there and they're going to go around you. Right? But in football, you're going to get hurt. If you stand on a field with 21 other guys running around full speed with pads on wanting to find somebody to hit, you're going to be that guy that gets hit, right? And so it's dangerous to be on a football field if you're not going to do something. And so my football coach was tough, and he said, do something even if it's wrong. Do something even if it's wrong. Like hit somebody. Like when we're watching film on Monday, I want to say that was an amazing hit, but it was the wrong guy. Like, but do something, because if you're not doing anything, you're going to get taken out. Now I know in the kingdom, we don't want to say just do something even if it's wrong. That's super scary. But at the same time, isn't it super scary to be paralyzed with fear and never do anything because we never know if it's right or wrong or not? Peter wasn't even 100% sure who was on the water. I mean, if it was a ghost and it meant harm, and he says, if it's really you, just say, come to you. Okay. Wouldn't a ghost say, come to me, drown, Peter? See what I'm saying? It doesn't show that he has this amazing spiritual revelation at the time. It doesn't show that, like, he knew 100% what was going to happen, and he was going to walk on the water, and it was Jesus, and they were going to walk all the way to the shore, and they were going to have uh, fish and chips. I mean, it doesn't say that, right? So Peter potentially was doing something Reckless, devastating, disastrous, and wrong. Yet everyone around him realized that Jesus was the Son of God when he did it. And we're over here not only staying in the boat, we're spending all our time trying to make sure everyone knows that Peter's wrong because he stepped out the boat. That's our whole assignment in life is to find the boat step-outers 
and tell everybody how wrong they are because we didn't see anybody, we didn't see Jesus step out the boat like that. Jesus started on the shore. Peter should have started from the shore. He stepped out of the boat. He did it different, you know, and so it, it, it's wrong. So we're the boat sitters and the boat step outer scorners. And nobody's getting revelation about the Son of God while we're sitting in the boat with them trying to figure out which way's right. Mark chapter 10, I'll close with this. There's a, the story, parables called the rich young ruler, but I like what Damon Thompson says. He says it should be titled the poor young pauper because he's not a rich man if he doesn't have Jesus. Listen, let's close with this story. Verse 17, Mark 10. And Jesus started on his way and came running up to him, kneeling down in front of him. He cried out, good teacher, what one thing am I required to do to gain eternal life? Jesus responded, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. You already know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give a false testimony. Do not cheat and honor your father and mother. The man said to Jesus, Teacher, I have carefully obeyed these laws since my youth. Look at verse 21. This from worship today, through the word today, and into this very moment, I believe this is the moment that we're in today. I believe the whole place and purpose of this assignment, anybody watching and anybody here and anybody, just God allowing this to take place, Listen, again, there's 8 billion people. He's present for every one of them, but he can make it all work exactly the same. And so I believe God is this big that, that he could allow all of this to take place for one person to be sitting somewhere at a house right now with a phone or a computer and hear this passage, hear this moment, hear the word during worship and hear this sermon and hear this invitation. Verse 21. I believe this is what Jesus is doing today. Jesus fixed his gaze on the man with tender love and said to him, yet there is still one thing in you lacking. Go, sell all that you have and give the money to the poor. Then all of your treasure will be in heaven. After you've done this, come back and walk with me. What an invitation. Come back and walk with me. Go. Part of your going is to sell your stuff, but as you're going, you know, Jesus is not walking here anymore. So when he tells us to go, he's saying, go and walk with me. Go and let's do this together. Yes. And so he was saying, go and let's show signs and wonders. Come back and walk with me. Verse 22. This will be our choice today. Completely shocked by Jesus' answer, he turned and walked away very sad, for he was extremely rich. Completely shocked by Jesus' answer, he turned and walked away very sad, for he was extremely rich. <clears throat> you 
Jesus could have used some money. You know? Like, it's not bad to have a rich guy walking with you. Jesus could have said, hey, oh, you've done all that stuff? That's awesome. Let's celebrate. Let's do a party for you. See, when you celebrate things, it's like unsanctified mercy. And it's judgment. If I celebrate wrong, then that's judgment. I'm solidifying that place. I'm assessing and assigning it as right. He says in the last days, people will not know right from wrong. They'll think right's wrong and wrong's right. God is never going to be one of those that doesn't know right from wrong. He's never going to celebrate wrong. We think, oh, man, that's terrible. You mean God doesn't love me and he won't bless whatever I'm doing? No, he won't. We refuse to go. We refuse to have a life change that proves that we've repented and turned from our sin. Then we are not going to find ourselves walking with him. We're not going to find ourselves being led by his eyes and walking with the blessing of God on our life. We're not going to find that. Matter of fact, in his mercy, he's going to continue to let us run into walls, 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 because he loves us. Why aren't the doors opening for me? Like, you know, amazing. Shazam, open doors. He's good, and he's just, and he's loving, and he's never going to let doors open for you if those doors opening are going to affirm you in a devastating, destructive life because he's good. He's going to let you keep hitting the wall until you say, what's wrong? What's happening? God, what's going on? Why is this not going like I thought it was going to go? Why aren't the doors opening for me? Like, I thought this relationship was going to bring fulfillment to me. I thought this was the one. Why isn't everything wonderful? Why isn't our relationship growing and progressing like it is? Like it should. Like other beautiful relationships and marriages do. Well, you have to enter into that relationship with the parameters that God puts on relationships. And until you do, it would be a violation of the nature of God for him to bless that relationship. Why isn't my financial situation working out the way that it should? it would be a violation of the nature of God for him to bless a hoarder. Would it not? Well, man, I don't know how Jesus would ever turn someone away. He said, go and sell your stuff and you can walk with me. If not, don't come back. That's Jesus? What? 
Go and do what I said. I don't care how many times we try to paint it, cover it, water it down. If God told you, if God's speaking, and I'm not saying, well, I'm waiting to feel conviction. If it's in his word and you don't feel convicted about what his word says, then you can keep waiting, but you're not going to feel conviction because you've got a hard heart to what God said and you're ignoring him. And every day you continue to ignore his word, the harder your heart's going to become. Go. Go. Go sell your stuff. Go sever a relationship. Go get your stuff and move out of a house. Go do what you know to do and be obedient and you'll see God move in signs and wonders to confirm his word in your life. But you've got to align yourself with the word that he's confirming. If you're not living by the word, he has nothing to confirm in you. We must go. We want to see him move in our life. We want to see doors open. We want to see things fulfilled. Then we have to be in alignment with what he says to do. Go. I don't know what your go is today. I don't know what your go is. I know what some of my goes are. And we have to go. And I, it's going to look different. It's going to look different for everybody. I mean, the, the word of God is true. I mean, it's not going to look different for anybody as far as black is black and white is white. That's just the foundation. That's like Old Testament. That's when we were slaves, children. We, we're supposed to be sons and daughters at this point. We shouldn't still be trying to fudge on the law. We should be embracing the spirit. He says in the Old Testament, if you kill a man, it's murder. In the New Testament, if you hate a man in your heart, it's the same. If you have an affair with a woman, it's adultery. In the New Testament, if you look on a woman with lust, it's the same. How do we keep fudging all this stuff? Well, Lord, I'm just going to do all this. I, you know, I think God understands. He didn't let them stone that adulterer. He's probably okay with it. He loves you. He loves you. But he says, if you're going to walk with me, you're going to go and sin no more. He said, I'm going to have mercy in this moment. I'm going to save you from the water right now. I'm going to keep them from stoning you right now. But if you're going to continue to walk in blessing, then you have to go do something. He told her to leave where you are and go somewhere else. Go and sin no more. We want to see the fruit of the promises of God in our life. Then we, there is no way around going and doing what he says to go and do. Now, there's some things that may not be explicitly laid out in the word, but you know he's told you to go. You know he's told you to go. Yeah. And it may look totally different than everything in your nature at times. Yeah. The, the whole thought of this, this week, as talking with Jahan this week, and I said, man, I feel like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do these last couple of weeks in my, with my time, I'm working 
constantly at the church, and I just feel depleted. And I understand that there's we need to be in the presence of God. I understand we need to feed our soul. I understand all of those things. But I also understand that the enemy would like to rob you of the food that you've already taken in by being obedient to God and try to put condemnation on you and make that food no longer bring nourishment to you. Does that make sense? Because I had been eating, but I didn't eat the way that my religious mind said I needed to eat. So then the enemy tried to make me not gain the nourishment from the food that I ate because I'm a builder and God told me to build. That's what he told me to go do. So while I've been up at the church till three and four in the morning building, that's not forsaking time with God. That's obeying what he told me to do. And he's been right there with me. And he's giving me supernatural strength and signs and wonders confirming what he said to do. Whatever he told you to do, not only will he empower you to do it, he'll just make a show with it. With signs and wonders. Lord, we love you. You're so good. We're so thankful. What an honor to be one that you would speak to and say go. What an honor to be one, to be those that you would entrust with an assignment. That you would look at like you did the poor young pauper with tender love and mercy and extend to us an opportunity to leave where we are which we thought was amazing, but really it was empty and nothing, and come into a place of walking with you in fullness and abundance. What, that just the very invitation, not the reward for the obedience, just the invitation, just the invitation to that overwhelms me. So, Lord, I'm so excited to go with you. And I just pray for every person that's hearing this today or will watch it later on. Like the prodigal son in the pig pen, could we just come to our senses, senses, and just realize where we're supposed to go. And go. Whatever it takes, God, to get us to that place, do it in Jesus' name. We love you and we trust you. And we know that you love us and you would never harm us or bring any destruction upon us. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And we love you and we thank you. We surrender our lives to you, which is our reasonable act of worship. And God, we just say today in closing,
Let's go. And let's prove your will to the world. In Jesus' name, so be it, so be it. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life. 